Hey everybody, when you hear that great song from old White Sox memories from 1959 and beyond for Jamie Retzke on the lighter side of sports, we're joined again four weeks in a row by my buddy Craig Kashan in, uh, in, uh somewhere in Wisconsin. How are you doing, Craig? I'm doing well. Doing well. How about you? Good, good. You're not sick, are you? <laughs> <clears throat> no, it's always when we start these shows out that you get that frog in your throat. So <laughs> I know it's, all, it's it's the anxiety and the the nervousness from going on the stage and maybe being heard by thirty people. Just it it is. It's very. It's been nerve wracking. I thought maybe I'd you know by now a month of this I'd get uh, you know a little more comfortable. But you know you, you you make my nerves go, Jamie. This is a big show. Well, you know, it's either you and me or you and Euchre, so, I mean, there's not that much of a trade-off, and it, it's a big show, <laughs> exactly. big time, and nothing else, we're, we're knocking off the weeks, and uh, <laughs> uh, next week, I thought we'd do a little special deal if you're, if you're going to be around, which, you know, everybody's around. Uh, it's coming up on the two-year uh, anniversary of our buddy's uh, passing, so I thought we'd kind of uh do a little nelly show next week which would be that's fun. a great idea that's a great so, idea we will uh i don't even know if we need to prep for that one we've got so yeah, many I stories don't, to tell. <laughs> you that that implies we're prepping for any of them but uh <laughs> I, I do look through a few uh hall of fame things and and that sort of deal but i thought that um you know today maybe we can try to talk a little bit about uh not only the hall of fame where we left off last time but also uh, what we're doing to uh, pass the time as we get ready for hopefully the 2020 baseball season. But let's talk a little bit about some of the things that have come up in the last week uh, from at least rumors on the major league front. What, what are you hearing? Well, um, you know, since we talked last week, you know, one of the discussions was putting all 30 teams in Arizona. That idea since has maybe changed to, having the teams return to their spring training sites in Arizona and Florida. And right now they're thinking about putting a, uh, a three uh, division format in place for those two States and the teams that are involved in, in abolishing the American national league type of schedule uh, where it would be obviously a, a schedule balance heavy for your own league, uh, which is certainly not a bad idea. Um, at least to get things going. Um, I think the state of Florida will have a little bit of a, of a travel issue, though, just because their, their ballparks for spring training, as you know, are, are spread out throughout the entire state. And there are uh, some occasions where, you know, teams that are based, you know, like in Fort Myers, I think, where the Twins are, um, they'll, they'll end up going to, up north of the state and actually spending – you know, a night and some teams just have to do that to break up the traveling bus part of it because some of these bus trips are three and four hours long. Yeah. So I think that might be a, a bit of an issue. Certainly not in Arizona. Everything is so centrally uh, located and concentrated. I think, you know, it's a, a 40 minute drive tops from the nearest ballpark or the furthest ballpark. So I, I don't think it's a bad idea to get going. Um, I, I, I certainly hope that they're not going to say we're going to play the whole regular season this way um I, I do have a few concerns that way but what what are your thoughts on that well you know i think the travel issue is pretty interesting in florida uh, you know and you would have to probably stay stay overnight and play both the uh uh 
Red Sox and is it the Twins? Did you say that are there? I can't remember. I've been to yeah. both yeah. nice ballparks. Um, you know, here's my thought. I don't derive an income from it, so I have only a, a viewpoint of a fan, and that is I'd love to see baseball, but I don't want to see baseball if I can't go. I don't want to see a, a segregated uh, society, and I say the, use the word segregated, and the ball players are one place and the fans are another. Maybe it's selfish because I'm a season ticket holder for two the red, the uh, white. <laughs> let me get this straight. <laughs> it's only been 45 years. The, the Royals and the uh, the other team, well, those Cubbies, your favorite. Uh, why does everybody hate the Cubs if you're not a Cub fan? Isn't that interesting? Well, not really. I mean, I totally get it, but that 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 will be for another call. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, like I was talking to Sammy Solis, and he said, "Yeah, I grew up kind of loving the Cubs," and then as soon as I knew what was going on. I despised them. I go, man, you know, sort of like everybody. But, yeah, we're another show, another time. Uh, I do kind of from time to time wander a bit. Uh, a bit. But, anyway, um, so you've got that. And then I think it's a grab for the TV money, which, again, gets down to greed and, uh, and that sort of thing. But above and beyond that, I just don't think it's safe until there's either some formulated testing program that, that gives us little – peace of mind, some form of uh, therapy that works to treat the, uh, the disease or a vaccine. Absent something where somebody says, I can go to the game. I, if it's not safe for me to go to, why is it safe for Chris Bryant and Rizzo to hang together? What's the umpire with a mechanical strike zone and how does the, how does the manager go out to the mound or what do you do at second base on a play? What do you do when there's a pitching change? <laughs> I mean, all those things can probably be overcome, but it's not baseball. It's a joke. That's my opinion. Well, it's interesting. I, I really think that, you know, if, if they're going to clear the hurdle to start playing, they're doing it because they have uh, a healthy group of players to go with. Um, and I think playing it in an empty stadium right now to at least start things out is the smartest thing to do. This is um, and, and, this is but I wouldn't have any issue with it, though, because here's the thing. What are we craving right now? We're craving to watch a, a real live sporting event. And although you can't go to the game, I can't believe that you wouldn't turn the TV on and watch the, the Cubs and the Royals and the White Sox and, and the Brewers. I, I just you, – you certainly would. If you're watching classics right now. Oh, I am. No, no, no. This is great because we generally don't disagree. So this is great, even, <laughs> even a friendly disagreement. But what you say, what am I craving? I'm craving a brat with the secret sauce at Miller Park. That's what I'm craving. Well, and... make it at your house while you watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People are doing because that. Because you don't make it at your house otherwise, do you? Uh, you know what? I have from time to time tailgated in my backyard without a sporting event. And my wife the other day cooked up some jumbo dogs with some uh, onions that had been sautéed or something and uh, had a little cut cheese, a little cut raw. And it was like going up to the, uh, well, it was better than Wrigley, not the, not the bastion of good food. But, uh, yeah, I crave going to a game and, and getting some value out of the money I pay for season tickets. I would probably turn on the game but i mean how is it going to be safe for the players i don't get it you know yeah uh, well i i just think we're all going to be at a point where 
it, you know, from a, from a national perspective and a world perspective, you know, we're going to get over this hump at some point without a, a vaccine to turn to, we're going to have to. And, you know, I, I think collectively, like I said, if, if they're, if they're confident that the health portion of this is controllable, um, I, I think they're going to jump to do it as soon as they can is my, my thing. I mean, some, somebody's got to get America going again in some capacity where it's, it's going to be embraced as a whole at one time. And I really think the sports end of it has to be there for it. And I think baseball has to be the, in his most logical to be the first to do it. Um, our, our emotions need to change. Baseball has, has a lot to do with that. Um, live sporting events obviously have a, a lot to do with that. So I think at some point, you know, they're just going to say it's safe enough and let's roll with it. And they'll have, I mean, they're working every single day on a lot of different plans. So I'm, I'm confident they're going to get there. Well, um, you know, I, I don't want to see them spread out six feet apart, socially distancing themselves in the, in a, at Sloan Park or Sloan Field or Sloan, whatever it is. And then, uh, you know, the umpire stands a foot away, the batter, the catcher, the guy on first base. You can't hold me on because it's not right. It's you got to be six feet away from me. You know, you start getting into absurd, ridiculous thoughts and the game becomes something that it's, it's just like, go watch Shark Tank. I mean, I, I'm just, thinking and I'm still optimistic that spring training in May and the game start in June. So I'm holding out for something to come around the corner. Would it make any difference in your opinion if the games were not in Arizona and Florida and they were they did the schedule in the home ballparks but there were still no fans in it? Would the would the venue of the home ballpark make any difference? No, I tell you what would make a difference is I'd be more than happy if they played in Arizona and Florida as long as I could go to the games. I mean, I'd be down there. I mean, and so, and then the governor of Arizona says, well, you can't come down here. You've been in Illinois and that's a hot, well, then I'll go to Florida. And the Florida governor goes, well, you know, we don't think that's a good idea for people to come in. So we're not going to let you guys, until I can go to the game, I don't want them to be playing. I think it's staged. It's a grab for money. And, um, there isn't really, I don't see anything that's going to change my mind. Now, you know, if I were a player, a coach, an umpire, a broadcaster, a reporter, I'd feel differently. So I understand your selfish point of view. (laughs) All right. So here's the thing. I I don't know where selfish on anything comes in because there's, we got to get this economy going first and foremost, no. you know, a- after, after the health end of it, we got to get the economy going again. And, and this will somehow be a jump start to that. I mean, I, I, I look at um, some of the things that you just mentioned about the, the players having to do the social distance, the, at least they're talking about it. Look, I, I'm going to be a little philosophical here. Yeah. Well, our lives all together, whether you're a ball player or a fan, period, our lives are changing because of this, and it won't be the same. 
whether you go to the grocery store or any other store or business, it's all going to change anyway. What, what we've been doing this last month and what we're going to be doing for another month or two or whatever it's going to be, all of this is going to be incorporated into our new lives. So to me, um, starting out in an empty stadium, as long as the players have been cleared healthy enough to play and they're adjusting how they are um, with each other in the dugout or the first two rows of the seats, you know, we're, we're going to be seeing all kinds of new things like that. So, so maybe for us to visually see this at first, maybe America will, will be able to see what life is going to be like that, that we're not going to go back to, you know, normal, you know, um, the way social life was, it's going to be a little bit different. Now we're going to take, I guarantee you, we're going to be taking some of what we have been going through here in the last month with us for the rest of our lives on the changes that we've had to make. So that's kind of how I'm looking at this. Like I, I'm not going to be bothered by whatever changes are made in the dugout or on the field or, or how the communication goes person to person. I think we're all going to have to start getting used to it. Well, um, I ain't getting any younger, but <laughs> my preference would be if if they can't figure out a vaccine, then skip the season and just start in 2021 with everybody having the same contractual obligations, da-da-da-da-da, work it out, get going, and that that would be not happy news to me, but I think that would be a uh, a solution. We have well, been- and, it, and it may come down to that too. I mean, we're, we're, it's not, we're talking about baseball, of course, because of the, the basis of your show, but you know, there's already been talk about uh, all of college sports in the fall already looking at canceling or pushing back. Yeah. But I mean, when you start doing that, you know, you do have a point, how far do you push it back before you say, you know, let's not do this. You know, I, I'm on the flip side, since I'm over on the NBA side as well, sometimes yeah. I look at their venue, there are three quarters of their season underway when this uh, shut the league down. And the further you go to me uh, into the summer before they would get going again, to me, I'm like, there's no pickup point here. You can't pick up from where you were in early March to where you could be on August 1st, uh, to me, you, you should start over, um, especially the further it goes in because basketball has probably the shortest break out of all the sports anyway. Um, just, just let it go and focus on getting your league healthy and, you know, getting the guys at, at camp and trying to get a, a normal schedule back in place for, you know, next fall and into next winter. Yeah. Um, baseball wise, you know, you could still pick something up if this country can clear itself up, like you said, by, by June 1st or even July 1st. Well, I think something's going to dramatically happen to, to pull the fat out of the fire, so to speak. I mean, in, just in my lifetime, um, you know, polio vaccine and flu vaccine and lots of things that would have changed. You know, one of the things that highlights this dilemma that we're in uh, not only the severity of the COVID-19, but the social media, and it's so much more widespread. For example, you know, when the in 2000-whatever, the last pandemic we had, you know, I was working full-time, nobody had any social media, and I'd 
I had to Google to figure out how many hor horrible deaths there were from that pandemic, and I didn't even blink an eye at it. So I think this is much more severe, much more contagious. The, the symptoms are, are horrendous after talking to a few buddies of mine that are doctors. And I just got to believe with all the, with all the smart people in the world, they're going to come up with something on the flip side without really making a political statement. I find it incredibly unbelievable whatever other word you want to throw in that I feel like we're living in a third world country right now with the inability to get the supplies that the folks on the front lines need. I just cannot get out of my mind. This is like Ethiopia, Namibia, Bangladesh. I mean, there should be beautiful cabinets full of an overflow of anything and everything we need in the United States. And it's like, what's going on? So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're you're right about that. I mean, I, I just saw something this morning uh, up in Green Bay, uh, a hospital or, or care center uh, was short uh, a thousand masks for their workers because another another authority above them uh, was able to no notice that they were in, in a higher supply. And so they're able to, to grab that. Yeah. And take it away. And I mean, that, that's that kind of stuff in, in our country, we're certainly not used to, that's for sure. Well, but that's been, we, well, that's been what's been going on. We've got the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, the Coast Guard, the National Guard, your guard, my guard, right guard. Somebody ought to be able to figure out this supply chain without, I mean, it's like I was laughing, was not laughing. I was saying It'd be like in World War II if the Japanese hadn't stopped at Pearl Harbor, but they had invaded California. And, uh, you know, Roosevelt's saying, uh, hey, Governor, uh, let me know if you need any more bullets, but uh, right now, go get them. And it's yeah, like, yeah. this is so, doesn't make sense. But we're on the lighter side of baseball or the grumpier side of baseball or whatever. And <laughs> let's wrap up this depressing segment one and, and uh, come back in a, in, well, actually, we can don't have to come back, but my guy will play some music. Have you listened to the segue between segments? The music's pretty good on this show. It's very good. You you have you have a good uh, engineer. Yeah, it sure. ain't me. Hey, speaking of being an engineer and a production engineer and the director, and you know when when you guys do the play by play, uh, you're always thanking the producer, or the engineer. This guy's been with the Brewers for blah blah blah, and they actually are the backbone, and they talk into your ear and. You, I don't know how you guys handle that, but when I uh, uh, this week I did a podcast with Bobby Denier, the center fielder for the uh, uh, Phillies and for the Cubs, and I was getting ready for the show, and I was looking back through some of his statistics, and I came upon uh, what didn't exist when he played, but something called YouTube. And of all things, I found a Harry Callis broadcast of what. I consider it has to be one of the great highlights, one of the great home runs ever. So, and it wasn't in a playoff game, but so here's the deal. The Phillies are at home. They're playing the Giants. I believe it's the Giants. Uh, Kevin Mitchell was in the outfit. It had to be the Giants. Anyway, I may have a few of the players <laughs> like usual. The uh, <laughs> visiting team scores two runs in the top of the 12th. And the Phillies get a couple outs and get two runners on and Denier comes up in the bottom of the 12th, losing two to nothing and hits a grant uh, inside the park walk off home run. 
Unbelievable. Yeah. So I, I, um, I'm sure in violation of numerous laws, put that into my, onto my microphone right before Dunier came on the show. And I got to tell you, I thought it was pretty cool. Great broadcast. Well, well that's called, that's called, uh, uh, knowing your material, knowing your show and being a good producer. So you're all, you're all wrapped up into one. There you well go. Done. Uh, it was fun. And, uh, what a, what a nice gentleman Dernier is. Oh my goodness. And he played with Rose. And so speaking of our next segment on the national baseball hall of fame, we obviously, we got into a little bit about Pete Rose and, uh, what his thoughts were about Rose being in the hall of fame. And, uh, it was interesting. One funny thing he said, Rose was near the end of his career and really, you know, he's with the Phillies then and after being traded by the, the Reds and, Rose never really knew his name, although Denier was the leadoff hitter for a year, and Rose batted second. But he said he called him Speed. He said he always said, you know, he never called me by my name, but he called me Speed. And he, he they were playing the Reds one day, and uh, Rose comes up and says, Speed, bench no longer catches. He's at third. If you don't bun on him every time at bat, you're dumber than I thought you were. And, uh, <laughs> of course, Denier being the speedster got a couple hits off the bench, I think, that day. But anyway. All That's awesome. Back. Yeah. That's it, awesome. It's fun. When we left off last week, you had all the envy I could muster by your private VIP trip to Cooperstown. I've been thinking about yeah. that all week. That was, uh, that was a fun one for sure. Um, did we, we, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the, I'll try to tell you the, the short story or the long story, the short way, <clears throat> but we had, uh, the, about, I think it was, Three years ago, the uh, Hall of Fame in Cooperstown decided to uh, that they that they needed a little more national um, exposure. Um, as you know, Cooperstown is uh, is nestled in um, the the hills of uh, upper upper state New York, and it is not an easy trip to make. And um, but it's beautiful country. And uh, they wanted to take their show uh, on the road across Major League and Minor League Baseball. And they had, I'm not sure how many years they were talking, maybe a two or a three-year span that they were going to load up uh, five or six uh, full semi-trucks. And we call them in our, in our broadcast business production trucks. Um, and they're mobile trucks that you would bring in and set up on site, uh, like at Miller Park or Wrigley Field. And uh, people would pay money basically to see a mini version of Cooperstown. And they brought a lot of artifacts and um, um, had some one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one, uh, dimensional things that you could do, uh, some virtual technology um, uh, happenings to take you to the past and stuff. And it was a really neat thing. The problem was um, they ran into issues because of weather. And when there was bad weather or teams uh, were not at their ballparks on a given day, they didn't get a crowd of people coming through. So it didn't last, I don't think, even the full year. But their first stop was Miller Park. Uh, on this whole, they were going to go to all 30 major league uh, teams, and then they were going to go to all the minor league sites as well over this two- or three-year span. And I got to know the – one of the researchers who basically put this mobile show together and um, I did a story, I think every day during a homestand for a full week for them and um, got to know him. And 
he asked me a couple of times, you know, have you ever been to Cooperstown? I said, no, but I want to take my family. And we ended up finally going in 2017 uh, after my son graduated from high school. And he said, if you ever uh, go, let me know. I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll give you the VIP treatment. Well, little did we know the VIP treatment was taking us upstairs into their library um, it were all of their uh, print historical facts uh, were kept and some of their books um, that was upstairs in their library of Cooperstown Hall of Fame. And then in the basement uh, was uh, the storage for all of the artifacts, the old uniforms, hats, bats, balls, and they, gloves. These, these are all the things that have not come up to the public and get displayed in correct the, what what isn't like being displayed is being stored and uh they may have been displayed at one time or they may be waiting to be displayed I got you. and you know to me being up in the library uh and listening to a few of his stories you know when he when he open up a you know one of his file books or whatever that was interesting but it was pretty much listening to him tell us a story but going down in the basement was the real VIP treatment because um, there's a temperature control down there and there's also a, a touch control. So you had to wear white gloves. So anything that they thought that they'd be willing to let you hold, you had to have white gloves on so you didn't uh, have the oils of your skin, um, you know, diminishing whatever it was, the, you know, a hundred year old glove from Ty Cobb or whoever. Right. And, um, but it was really cool because, you know, he took us over to some Milwaukee Braves things he had in storage, some Milwaukee Brewers things, you know, like with Robin Yount's, uh, bad he used for his 3000th hit. I was at that game as a reporter and just to see it, you know, in a drawer in Cooperstown was awesome. Um, teams had their own, um, artifacts stored in certain areas, um, there was also an area for, you know, some of the old time players and everything was alphabetically listed. So Hank Aaron was, you know, first in his um, drawer of artifacts and, you know, it was like, okay, who else do I want to see right now? Yogi Berra wasn't too far down for Berra. Um, and and uh, that experience was really off the charts. And the other interesting thing about that, well, there were a couple of former uh, major league players and their wives there. Uh, that went with us. So it was basically seven or eight people. And this researcher's name is Tom Scheiber. And one of the, one of the former players was Larry Walker. And I'd never met him before, but certainly covered a lot of games while he played against the Brewers when he was with the Rockies and um, couldn't have been a nicer guy. And then to learn three years later, he's going into the hall of fame this year. Um, you know, it was a real, it's been a, a, a thrill. And those are the memories um, that, you know, some of the memories anyway that we have from Cooperstown, but the, those are the ones that really stand out. And then to have it capped off by Walker going into the hall now is, is just so cool. So cool. I hope you got his autograph. Oh yeah, the boys do. And uh, he was great. And, and uh, you know, it, um, it was just uh I think the other thing about that experience too, Jamie, is uh, some of the best advice I've ever gotten. Uh, this guy told us his name was Tom again. 
he said, if you have, if you're coming out here for a few days, use the few days to, to go through uh, the museum a few hours at a time. He said the, you know, when people come out for one day and try to spend eight or 10 hours, he said it just becomes too overwhelming. You, right. you don't appreciate it as much. You don't soak it in as much. So we went, we spent three days out there and we went for two or three hours in the morning, uh, broke for lunch, did something else around Cooperstown, came back later in the day for another hour or two, did that three days in a row. And, and I think we could almost tell you uh, every corner, mid floor, third floor, first floor of that place and what was in it. It was uh, just a great way to do it too, because you really have a better appreciation for it. Like we didn't even walk through where the plaques were until the very final thing that we did. And um, it, it just worked out great. What was the coolest thing you saw that, that was in the basement? Um, I, think, I think the coolest thing that I saw probably in the basement was uh, Robin Yount's drawer of things was to me the biggest eye opener because I've, I've, I was still at times work with Robin at times because he comes up to Miller Park and over at spring training. But when I was growing up, you know, he was the guy 20 years with one team. And I don't think you appreciate it that much or as much when you're a little bit closer to it, like I have been over time with him. Uh, but it was to be in that setting, to see him, you know, a few feet away from, from Hank Aaron's uh, drawer. Um, and they pulled out, you know, a couple of, you know, jerseys and, and bats and glove that that had certain significance from some of these guys. Um, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's just so much at one time that you almost can't pick one thing in my mind. I think it's, it's just um, knowing how far back the history and the significance of this sport um, is to America and what it means is, is so cool. Yeah. And that's a great area. I mean, the, the legend of sleepy hollow and, and the, the whole deal in that part of the uh, part beautiful. of beautiful, yeah. it's just beautiful. Um, the uh, thing that I suggest to you, if it coincides with an off day when baseball gets cranking again, and this goes to uh, when we conquer this pandemic, because I don't know whether they'll have a, an induction ceremony this summer or not. I think I read somewhere where it may have already been canceled. I'm not sure. Um, I don't yeah, to... I'm, it, you know what? You may be right on that. I'm not 100% sure either, but I, sh you know, everything else is being canceled that's slated for anything before, you know, August anymore. And that certainly is. Yeah, that is um, something that I would say um, would be tops on your list to go see because it's a different, um, it's a totally different atmosphere it's kind of the antithesis of what you experienced because instead of you and your family and a handful of other VIPs, very important people, you've got, the, <laughs> you've got the throngs of fans, which is pretty cool. You would get access to, you know, especially if it was a, a brewer going in or, I mean, you'd get like, when when Santa went in us when I went to see that ceremony and Ricketts was new to the ownership he threw a party for any of the Chicago people that uh, wanted to come to the party 
And he had this awesome. Tent, he had this giant tent, and Pat Hughes was there, and Billy Williams was there, and you know, it was it's it's a great great time to go. And then you go downtown to downtown Cooperstown, and which is like for a memorabilia freak like me, you got to be careful because it's inflated, and obviously that's when they're going to make their money. But in addition to these shops, you got you got players that are sitting out in front of the stores signing autographs for money, which is good and bad and sad. I mean, it was kind of sad to see Frank Robinson out there hustling $20 signatures and amusing to see Denny McLean trying to sell his book while he ate a eight inch tall uh, soft serve vanilla ice cream. But <laughs> nonetheless, man, the, um, the other place that you need to go, and I think we talked about it and you hadn't been yet, is to the Louisville Slugger Museum. Unbelievable. Because the same right. no, that, have, I have not been down there yet. You, you need to go. They've got it. The part that's open to the public, and we got the VIP treatment because I was with the VIP Nelly. And uh, so we got to go in the, in the room where all the, all the stock bats from, from Babe Ruth on. The guy go, you want to see Lou Gehrig's bat? Yeah. You pull it out and you got your white gloves on. Uh, you want to see Dave Nelson's bat? Boom. Pulls out that stock and tells you how they're numbered and why they're, the letter is the letter there because it's for the first major league to blah, blah, blah. But then you go in the museum and it, when you talked about drawers at uh, Cooperstown, they had drawers and you pull out a drawer and there's Joe Jackson's bat and stuff like that. And, you know, for me, it was like, whoa, this is cool. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and, you know, the gloves have obviously changed and, and the bat sizes have changed a little bit too. And just to see in, in the uniforms and, and how they were put together and just to know what is a foot away from you is also a hundred years behind you, but will have meaning for another hundred years plus is is why that place is so cool. And I, I've been to uh, the NFL Hall of Fame in Canton. I've been to um, some of the significant teams in our sports. Uh, the Green Bay Packers have probably the single best team Hall of Fame um, in sports. In fact, I think the Packer Hall of Fame is better than the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, the NFL Hall of Fame. Um, the is Cincinnati Reds... Is What's that? Lambeau? Is the Packer one at Lambeau Field? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it used to be in a separate building years ago, but when they uh, renovated and redid it, they they put they put it inside. In fact, they they've already made a second one uh, to replace the first one that they had inside the renovated one. So they're they're cranking it out and and keeping you know keeping people entertained and. Obviously, their sports history, at least they've got, you know, something to, to work with, that's for sure. And, and then an, on the baseball side, the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame, uh, they modeled their Hall of Fame when they built it, when they built their new stadium, Great American Ballpark. They have it right next door in a separate building. Uh, but they modeled it after, after what the Green Bay Packers had done. And it is incredibly cool. It, it, it ranks to uh, Cooperstown as well. And um, very cool because obviously, you know, the Reds go back to the late 1800s when they started 
one of the first teams in baseball and Packers first team in the NFL as well. So you're talking two separate teams there, plus those Hall of Fames I mentioned. Um, you, you just can't beat uh, having the opportunity to learn, uh, reminisce in some cases, um, but really reflect back on, on some really cool times in our American sports history. Well, that's right. And two of the stars from the franchises you just talked about who copied another, the other one's Hall of Fame was Bench was good buddies with your man uh, Skaronsky. And uh, they hung together with uh, none other than Bobby Knight. So maybe there's a Hoosier Museum too. But there's a Yogi Berra Museum, a Bob Feller Museum. I've never, I've never done that, but I would, uh, I would like to do those. They're not only all the things you mentioned, but they're, they're entertaining and, uh, it's just a, a thrilling place to, uh, to go. So that, uh, that's a fun, the, the last thing I'll say on our hall of fame segment is when my, uh, oh, a long time ago, my brother-in-law was, um, uh, did a lot of things. I won't, I won't characterize them, but one of the things he, he did was <laughs> he tried to, uh, uh, put together a sporting news publication in Spanish, which I think would have been a great idea back back in the day. And as a result, he and I, when we could, when we did the <clears throat> did the deal, which they gave him a year to put it together, and it never happened. But we got to uh, hang at the Sporting News back then in St. Louis, and they had their own little Hall of Fame and museum of artifacts. It really wasn't public, but man, oh man baseball cars, you know, checks signed by Ty Cobb and just, you wouldn't think, uh, I guess because the owners, the, the guys that started the sporting news, which was the Bible of baseball forever, um, they were smart enough to collect memorabilia photographs that were done on glass, glass prints back in the old days. So I don't have a clue whatever happened to that. I guess there's still a sporting news maybe. That I'm not even sure, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know either, but that was uh, that was good, and and I'd like to uh, try to get Bob Kendrick of the Negro League Hall, the Negro League Museum. I feel really, really bad for those guys because this is their hundred year celebration, and I think a lot of different um, organizations were going to feature not only the you know the Jackie Robinson uh, day, but also I know in Kansas City, where the Monarchs were big, they planned to do a lot of stuff with Kendrick, and he's been on MLB Network a lot. And with everything shut down, they're they're missing out on a lot of opportunities to uh, to do just that and feature some uh, uh, Hall of Famers that were also in the Negro Leagues. And I've got one. I did my homework before. There's another guy. Uh, uh, from the Negro Leagues that is in the National Baseball Hall of Fame that I'd never heard of at all, a guy named Andy Cooper. You ever heard of Andy Cooper? No. <laughs> you know, I like to catch you by surprise. So Andy Cooper played for the Detroit Stars and the Monarchs and then managed. He was a pitcher in the games that – you remember the last guy I talked about was in the Hall of Fame with 32 wins and 29 – this guy – won at least to the games that people saw, 284 wins and 116 losses. And he was, you know, again, it seems like every pitcher in the National Baseball Hall of Fame that was in the Negro Leagues is compared to 
you know, Satchel Page. And so somebody would play against him and they'd go, this guy's better than Satchel. But anyway, Andy Cooper. There, so for all the listeners of podcasts that want to learn something, now you've learned that a guy named Andy Cooper pitched and uh, managed for the Kansas City Monarchs and is in the Negro League uh, Museum, but also in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Like I said, there are 33 um, African-Americans in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And I want, I'm going to do a show on each one of those guys because this is a special year, and, uh, and I love that. Um, so last question puts you on the spot and have to put your cerebral uh, parts into action. Who, who would you – two questions. Who's your favorite guy in the Hall of Fame? besides Aaron and Jan. And uh, if you had one opportunity to spend a couple hours having a cocktail, drink, or just hanging with somebody in the Hall of Fame, dead or alive, who would it be? Boy, that does put me on the spot. <laughs> Big time. Uh, so I can't, I can't say Aaron or Yount. Um, no, because you've hung with those guys, and they are, I tell you what, they'd be in my top five. All right, I've got, I've got one for you that might, that might cover both. Um, uh, I, think, I think one guy that I think that I think would be somebody that I'm most impressed with um, as far as a favorite would go would be a guy like Roberto Clemente uh, because – he obviously has quite the ending of his uh, life story to share. Um, the fact that he ended on 3,000 career hits even and was still playing when he died in that plane crash trying to help out his home country um, is pretty significant. And then he was placed right away into the Hall of Fame. He didn't have to wait for the, the five-year period because he had passed away. Um, I think I think I've always been intrigued when I go to Pittsburgh to learn a little bit more and more about his story, and that goes back to 1970. We're talking about so um, he'd be he'd be somebody that I put in the intriguing list beyond my Brewer Braves guys. Yeah. Oh, and his his uniform number clearly should be retired. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Along yeah, with Larry. Along with Larry Doby. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. That how fun would that be? Um, it would be, and it, and it, you know, I I also think as far as I know, some of these guys that uh, go back that have been in the Hall of Fame for a while now, and one of the things you know, I've talked to Raleigh Fingers before about going back to the Hall of Fame, and you know, he says he he wouldn't miss going back every year because you, you basically get to reminisce you know, the one time a year in person with, you know, some old buddies and, and start incorporating some newer people that maybe um, came in at the beginning or at the tail end of your certain career or you crossed over when you started um, in the in the league. And these guys, so many of these guys played for such a long time. I mean, if you're in the Hall of Fame, you're, you're talking 15-year minimum playing in the league. And a lot of these guys played you know, close to 20, if not 20 or more. And they have so many stories to tell, but he says his favorite thing to do with these guys, um, like on a Saturday night, whenever it is Friday night is to, you know, 
get around a big table and, you know, grab as many bottles of wine as you can and, and just keep telling stories and, you know, yeah. toasting and having some drinks. And those are the, those are the times where you want to not just be the fly on the wall. You'd love to be up at the table and, and listening to these guys and, and soaking it all in. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. So many of these guys, you know, they put in their time in the minor leagues. And so they not only got to know each other a little bit, if you were in the same league, a lot of the American league National League guys were pretty, uh, kept their distance, I think from each other socially. And of course, you know, there were fraternizing rules where you couldn't do what the players do now when a guy gets first base and you're laughing and scratching. I mean, the, the league wanted everybody to, to seem like they were dire enemies. But um, I think if, if I could go and spend a, a couple hours with anybody in the Hall of Fame, you know, my tendency would be, for, first it would be Lou Gehrig, which would be, you know, not that he's the most talkative, but number one on my list would be uh, Jackie Robinson. I uh, would love yeah. to spend time with, with, with him. And then from a White Sox standpoint, you know, if you could give me a couple hours with Louis Aparicio and Nellie Fox, man, I'd be in, I'd be in, I'd be ready for heaven. That'd be fun. Yep. Yeah, it would be. Uh, Jackie Robinson's a good call. And I, I know when we talked about him a couple of episodes ago, I, I knew that uh, I've always thought this too. And I shared that personal thought. If I could, you know, go back and do the old, if, if you had a chance to do a lunch or a dinner with somebody, who would it be? And I, I definitely would pick him for sure. So I, I like your calls and all that kind of stuff. And um, man, it, it's something you, you, we could go on and on about, you know, the hall of fame and, you know, we didn't even get into a Pete Rose debate that should be on the next show too. Should he be in or should he not? Yeah, no, exactly. Well, let's, and, and honestly, like if we got into that now, it'd be, I mean, that, that's a meaty segment. Well, we'll do that next. We'll do that the segment after the Nelly segment. That sounds good. Of, I can't think of a real big connection between Rose and Nelly, but I'm sure there was one. Because I'm sure there. Oh, if Davey was here, he'd he'd have one. That's for he sure. Definitely would. Well, this has been a fun segment, and for the last segment in the last uh, few minutes, let's talk a little bit about uh, if you're doing it. Last time we talked, you really weren't watching much of the. Uh, replays of baseball or golf like I have been but I'm I'm glued to the 2019 final round of the Masters hoping to figuring out who's going to win that and, uh, <laughs> well let me know when that happens or send out a press release <laughs> exactly I'm going to Vegas was open uh no and then I watched I watched today and god dog I mean this was when I was really young and before you were born but I watched the summary of the 1956 World Series between the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Yankees, and oh my goodness, was that was that just fun to watch? Hmm. That you know, and you're I I actually did watch a bit of a classic uh, 1968 World Series Cardinals and right. Tigers. Yeah. Uh, I watched part of one game, and um, now those are the games that I would like to go back and and see right now because one one of those games available otherwise you know not not those games that's for sure i don't know where they're where they're stuck or where else you could get them but it's too bad that we're in a pandemic right now for for some of the games that you and i are talking about that are actually being broadcast right now in their entirety for the most part yeah 
Well, I told you that the marquee network that bought the Cubs was doing a ton of Cubs stuff and still is um, in Chicago. I haven't been able to find um, any of the um, providers down here that have linked with marquee network yet. But um, I'm telling you, a couple of things that stood out in 1956, uh, obviously the uniforms, flannel, baggy, uh, that was cool. The, the bases were all connected to the ground with the straps. Remember that when, the, yes. the, you know, they didn't have the, the anchor that they put into the uh, foundation for the bases. And so they had these puffy bags that, you know, guys would uh, get there. There was no replay, obviously. So the close plays were the close plays. And, you know, in the World Series, nobody, at least the highlights of this, nobody seemed to uh, uh, to talk much about it. It featured Don Larson's no-hitter no perfect game. But the thing that – there are two things that stood out for me. One, the perfect game was played in two hours and six minutes. Two hours and six minutes. Unbelievable. And, B, how is Gil Hodges not in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no kidding, you know, huh? Yeah. That, no, that's a that's a big name. That's a big name right there. And I I guess I didn't realize he wasn't in the Hall of Fame. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean he, you know, he hit two seventy something. Not, you know, I, not to compare everybody to Harold Baines, but um, and not to go to sabermetrics. But I looked it up, and and I don't understand WAR, but Gil Hodges had a higher WAR than Harold Baines. So even though sabermetrics <laughs> went around back then. Again, I always laugh at the war. I mean, it was like, do you base that on Lou Gehrig taking the place of Wally Pip when you say wins a, against a replacement? I don't get it, <laughs> but and I hate it. But, yeah, I mean, Hodges isn't in there. You had Campanella. You had Duke Snyder, Sal Magley, Carl Erskine. I mean, these guys, that was the golden age of baseball. And, uh, you know, the, the thing, the other thing that stood out, the game is just identical. There's nothing different about watching the 56 game except that the uniforms are baggy. You know, the, the cutoffs, relays, the plays, it's, it's the same, except you got Mantle, Scour, and Barra. The other thing, and again, here you watch these highlights, and I come up with 50 different things. Yogi Berra, there couldn't be a better bad ball hitter in the history of the game. How about Un that? Unbelievable how that guy could protect the plate. Just Sends goosebumps up my spine. <laughs> Nobody no, else. He, could, who else could get fun to watch? Yeah, but like, who else would get excited about a replay of the '56 World Series? But me. Wow. But you know, the thing about it is, when you watch when you watch these classic uh, games back from the, you know, '50s and '60s, especially just because the the age of uh, television coming uh, around to the, especially the big cities. Um, I, I think the, you know, I think the point you made about it's the same game. They're playing it the same way. You wouldn't know if it's, you know, 86, 96, or 56 necessarily. Right. Uh, but the thing that does stand out to me that does say this is from, you know, 40 or 50 years ago is the pace. Um, the batters weren't leaving the batter's box. Uh, they, they stood in there and – you know, I, the, the game I saw the other day uh, was right after the passing at uh, Al Kaline from the Tigers. Right. And in this particular World Series game against the Cardinals, he was on base six times. And I think the fifth time he got on base, he, I think he was four for four prior to that. 
he got hit on the first pitch, like in the seventh inning, right on the hand. Now, did he sit there and sulk and cry and throw his bat? He hit the deck, winced a bit, got up, and ran to first base. Yeah. And the trainer came out, and he's shaking the heck out of his, I think it was his left hand, just shaking it. You know, I'm okay. I'm getting it out of me. I'm getting out of me. And the trainer left and went back, you know. Right. And, and nobody cared. Everybody understood everything's part of the game. And, um, and then I, I also was watching a couple of, couple of different pitchers, and they were taking, um, you know, the sign from the catcher. They may have shook him off a couple times, but while they were shaking him off, they were basically, you know, in motion getting ready to pitch. And they just, you know, they just threw the ball. They got the ball, looked for a sign, started rocking back, and boom, threw. And, and you oh, know. The Com- complete games. How many bull? How many oh, I mean, yeah, the complete games things is, you know, look, I mean, I'll, I'll go really simple on you. I've been writing up some uh, Milwaukee Brewer uh, big moments over there because this is their 50th anniversary year. Wow. And we're doing a uh, basically uh, once a week um, during the season, of course, which is not going to be anymore uh, the same way as our plan. We were doing a, a Brewer big moment a week. And I, I put, uh, we got an ideas bucket list together and, and I was responsible for writing all of them. So we have 25 of them. And one that I was going back on was Juan Nieves, who I'm not even sure you'd recognize his name, played in the league for three years. I, I, I got mid- his name. I can yeah. even spell it for you. <laughs> well, he, he played for the Brewers for three years, came in at the age of 22. 21 actually at 22 years old became the third youngest player at the time to throw a no hitter through a no hitter for the Brewers against Baltimore. Um, it was, it's still the only no hitter thrown in Brewers franchise history. And I was looking, uh, because of his age, um, I went back and looked at his, uh, starts that he made in his rookie year. And then, the starts that he had made going up until that game and it was early in the season. So it was, it was his 19th career start. And I think he had eight or nine complete games in those 18 previous starts, Wow! you know, and I'm, I'm looking through there and I'm like, is this right? Because I'm looking at what I cover today and I'm not even sure the Brewers had a complete game last year. Probably haven't had more than two right. well, in the last three or four years man, I as would a team. Yeah. You know, it's unbelievable. Yeah, you know? well, Council's the master of using his bullpen. And you're right. I mean, well, complete games. I, besides Burley, I can't think of anybody that's that's had a complete game. But I, one of the – another highlight that I'm sure makes the top 25 – uh, I was watching the other day, I think it was 2011 playoffs where the Brewers won the National League, the whatever league they were in at that time. And it was Nigel Morgan uh, getting a hit in extra innings to win the game. Yeah. The mob scene at the home plate. How thrilling yeah. that. How cool was that? Yeah, what, well, I, that was one of my highlight games uh, from a couple of weeks ago that I, ha- I was there with my sons. And uh, it, was the, it was the walk-off hit by Morgan that scored Carlos Gomez in game five, the decisive game of the series that was tied against the Diamondbacks. 
So that's a walk off to, to move on to the next series, which doesn't happen very often, period, yeah. no kidding. at any level. But yeah, that, that was big stuff. I think, uh, I think I was at that game and before the game, I was out in the parking lot. You know, we were tailgating, but most of the time it was holding strangers' cameras to take pictures with Nelly. I mean, the guy was the mayor of Milwaukee. It was like, well, he had, he had a lot to do with that win, so I get it. So uh, There you go, exactly. <laughs> well, this has been what I'd call Podcast 13, and the only famous number 13 that I want to talk about was a pitcher that gave up one of the most famous home runs in the history of the game, and that's Ralph Branca, who gave up that famous home run to uh, Bobby Thompson. And when I had Dwayne Stats on the other day, he – he kind of, we got into the, since he broadcast for the Astros, we, of course, segued into their cheating. And then, you know, the rumors that Thompson and the and the Giants had stolen the signals and that they knew the pitch that Bronco was going to throw. But, hey, how famous was that? was great no matter who knew what was coming. But I'll, I think, I, I think at some point I got, Ralph Branca to sign a Bobby Thompson baseball card or something like that. I got to figure Is out. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I remember you guys talking about that and, and it, you know, it just makes me think with, you know, with you get, with you bringing this up too, you may still know it's coming, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to connect for a base hit or uh, a home run like that to win the pennant. Um, so and I'm not, I certainly don't, I'm not condoning cheating. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I, but I do like what what Dwayne brought up during that conversation with you. That in some form or fashion, it's been gamesmanship since day one. Absolutely, um, it's just what level are we taking it to? And obviously, it went to too great of a level with the Astros. We're all well aware of that now. But uh, yeah, big big fun times like that. So you got the number down. I don't have a number for you for thirteen. Thirteen's just a Friday the thirteenth number to me. Well, one that. <laughs> was big with the White Sox was Ozzie Guillen, but you know I'm not a I'm not a big uh, uh, the one the other guy that I think ought to be in the Hall of Fame with number thirteen, and I think he's going to get there in a couple of years is Omar Vizquel. So there's a name from the past. Omar, oh, for sure. But uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. For a minute, I thought you were quoting Jose or Altuve there when saying, "Hey, you got to be able to hit it, even if you know what's coming." <laughs> Well, you do, but I'm I'm not going to go there on that excuse. It's a bad excuse. Yeah, I think I talked a few, I don't know when. Maybe it was before Dunier talking about, you know, not cheating, but you know, um, guys run to first base when the umpire thinks he heard the ball get hit, and you know, all sorts of little neat things that baseball players do. But you know, Gaylord Perry and all the rumors there, so nothing was quite as as uh, crazy as the Astros, but. You never know, man. Well, you don't. And, you know, I, I don't know. We got to get going here. But, you know, you, you, can, you can take this down to even a level of um, throwing. If you're a pitcher and it's cold in the month of April, you know, I, I don't know if they do it so much now. I don't think they do. But, you know, back in the, back in the day, I mean, pitchers are taking some uh, pine tar and they're making sure that that ball is gripped a little bit better and their hands are gripped a little bit better because they don't want to kill anybody at the plate. They're throwing a cold baseball in 30-some degree weather, and they want to have some control over it. Are they allowed to do that at any other time? 
Probably not. We all know that. But little things like this go on. And, you know, there are certain things that are just part of the game, I guess is my point. So, yeah, and I think, but I digress. We could, we could go on and on. There are a lot of guys, you know, that you look at their baseball cap that are on the mound and you wonder how in the world's an umpire not, you know, making them change their hat for that. Right. Just what you said. Just what right. you said. Well, happy Easter to you. Uh, I appreciate you doing the show on Easter. Um, so it was Saturday, fun. Same to you yeah. and everybody. Saturday for Cub fans. Glenn Beckard passed away today. Um, That's Brace too bad. Bishman in the Santo Kessinger, uh, Beckard and Banks infield era. But um, at any rate, don't want to end on a sad note, but uh, it's I'm optimistic. I think we're going to have baseball this year, and I think people will hopefully be able to go see it. So, hey, man, I'm going to close this out. Stay on the Stay on the uh, phone for a second, and uh, we'll wrap up the lighter side of baseball. I hope this was a – it wasn't that quick, but it was sure fun for me, and I hope all the listeners had a good time listening. Craig and me, four Sundays in a row. Can't wait for the next one. It'll be featuring our good buddy Dave Nelson. So for Jamie Rusky, for Craig Kashan, you guys all have a great week, and thank you very much for listening. All right, man. Good stuff. Great stuff. Now that didn't feel like I, I don't even know what time it is, but it doesn't feel like it. We've you know been going on for ninety minutes or something like that. Well, we um, went on for sixty-five minutes, which went like it was five minutes. Yeah, no kidding. So yeah, I I on my other computer I had a clock going, and um, you know it didn't seem like we were hurrying, um, and you know I just wanted to try a little different approach, but, uh, it was good. It was great. I it was it. good. And you know what, uh, even if you went with this approach and you're, you're still doing an hour, it's, it's like I said, it's still your podcast. And if, if this is what gets you from one subject to the other a little bit quicker, so be it. Then you have more to talk about. Yeah. It's fun. And I, I mean, it'll be more fun once the season starts and all that. But, um, uh, what I'm trying to do is, you know, trying to think up, I'm trying to uh, just have a few different people from time to time that, that knew Nelly, and uh, we'll see what see what happens. It's, um, you know, like nobody else is doing anything, so if you can contact them. Um, and I've had a few more people circulating this, and so I think we're getting a few more listeners. If I knew how to, if I knew how to tag things and hashtag things, that would be, another way to to spread it out but um you know i really don't care it's not like it's not it's nothing but for our entertainment and a few people that listen to it it's all good stuff it's all good stuff and it um you know i think the bottom line is you're you're at a point in your life where you you can talk baseball and share some stories and you have the time to do it and you have some connections to get some guests on and and you know you're you're dressing it up it's a podcast it's a show that's the cool thing about it so well, it goes without saying how much fun i'm having doing these with you and i you know it also goes without saying how i appreciate your time and 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 doing this with me because um i'm having a great time and i'm assuming you're having a little bit of fun or you'd find something else to do even in- <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i've been looking forward to it and uh, i i'll be honest with you i i can't do a radio show like I couldn't do even an hour-long radio show 
um, just come up with ideas and shit. I've tried to do that uh, in the past and I've been offered a hundred times to do these shows and I have no interest in bantering on subjects that I have a no interest in or no clue about and I'm not pretend to know. And, and I also don't want to drum up stuff that's controversial to try to get people's right. ire up or anything. I have no interest in that. So I, I haven't done it, but something like this I've, I've enjoyed. Yeah. And how'd you like, so, the, how'd you like the Johnny bench and the uh, Skaronsky pull out of the, yeah, well, that was yeah. good stuff for huh? sure. There you for go. Sure. And Bob Knight. Well, that, that just goes to show you where all those guys have been. <laughs> that's right. My, Actually, my one of my buddies in uh, Chicago. I don't know if you've met Stony, but most people have met Stony. He did, yeah. He did the um, um, financial planning for Skaronsky and his son, and Bobby Knight uses him, and then uh, and that's how I knew that those guys went hunting and did all sorts of shit together. Gotcha. Because uh, as a Bear fan, I really don't care about the Packer Hall of Fame or Skaronsky. Yeah. No, I do. I want to go see. I want to go hear a Ray Ray um, Ray Scott do the Star Dollar touchdown. It's got to be in there. Oh, for sure it is. And I watch the um, I watch the well, they call it the Ice Bowl. You know that '67 yeah. game. I, I actually watched that. It's on uh, YouTube, and um, I thought it was very interesting. How I can't remember who pieced that together from the various television and radio calls. Uh, and I don't think that there's a single play that they didn't have, but they did have to match some of the audio between TV and radio in, in between the different, uh, like all of a sudden uh, the Dallas radio uh, guys would be calling and then the Packer radio guys, and then we'd be back to TV. And, um, it was very interesting cause I, for something like that, that's like going to the hall of fame for me, you know? Oh, totally. Absolutely. No, God, the, uh, so I loved watching the 63 bears game. You know, they televised that once a year in Chicago when they beat the, uh, I think they beat the giants for the, you know, what was the NFL title game? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, Jack Brickhouse and Irv Cups and all those guys. I, that's another good Hall of Fame. The Broadcast Hall of Fame in Chicago is pretty cool. See, I, I've never uh, – I wasn't even sure there was one there. I didn't even know. Yeah. Some of these Hall of Fames, like you mentioned, I did not even know existed, like a Yogi Berra Hall of Fame or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, the, the one I saw that was kind of interesting, uh, and talk about timing of – you know, the newspaper industry just dwindling. The There is actually a newspaper hall of fame in Washington, D.C. And wow. I drove by it, um, let's see, when we were doing the Nationals Brewers in August, and then I saw it again, and I didn't even know it existed. And then I saw it again in October because I did the honor flight with our Wisconsin troops, and it was closing. And it almost breaks your heart. I, I never knew it existed. And, but just to know that there's a newspaper hall of fame, oh, you know, cool. can that, you imagine going through that? Huh. That would be, you know, I used to, I still do. I've got a giant box that Kay keeps wanting me to get rid of that. I used to collect 
newspapers if I was around and something like, you know, certainly the different pennants that Cleveland had and, and uh, the Bears Super Bowl. But I've got, you know, like when we, the first time George W. Bush bombed Kuwait or whoever, or yeah. whoever we bombed and newspapers like that. But yeah, I would love that. I love journalism. It's just so cool. And yeah, you would have. I I didn't even know this existed, but it's never heard of it, it was big. I no, I didn't either. And I was talking to a couple of um, we have a couple of writers that are that are older, been covering baseball. Well, Tom Hardercourt, and he said it's it's sensational and it's just heartbreaking to these guys that you know they can't fiscally keep going because there's basically the newspapers dead. You know, everything's digital. And they hardly have any writers anymore. So, yeah. and then it's you crazy. Look at, you look at some of these old baseball games, and and the press box is full of guys with you know typewriters. I mean, it's just like, yeah, like the dark ages. Yeah, yeah. We'll go uh, eat some Easter eggs and have a uh, have a, a good afternoon, and and uh, we'll look forward to next Sunday, man. All right, man. We'll talk this week. Have a good one. Okay, you too. Thanks, man. All right. See you, pal. Bye.